la gente no sonríe porque las armas en las manos porque los hombres van heridos dime un año con este dolor sin, sin poder encontrar la tranquilidad día y noche con este dolor He has been ill for a whole year now, nice and deep. And who is looking after the children now that you are ill? ¿Quién está cuidando a sus hijos mientras estás enferma? Nadie, nosotros solos estamos, madrecita. They're all here together, and her husband and the children themselves look after themselves. Se van para allá, trae cualquier cosita, está unos días acá, vuelta se va a traer la comida, así estamos. He comes and goes, bringing her the, the food, and uh, he goes away to work again. The poverty is growing. The, what I have witnessed here was something that I learned in school about the time of the famine in Ireland. I remember the word destitution and I never fully understood it until I came on the mission here when I saw people absolutely destitute. Dime. The song says, tell me. Tell me, God, why children cry, why men and women cry and why people carry arms. Tell me, God, where will I find the truth? Eighteen million people live in Peru, at least one-third in absolute poverty. The city of Trujillo in the north of the country is built on the Pacific coast of South America, eight degrees south of the equator. It's a coastal desert of hot sands where it hardly ever rains. Beyond the desert are the towering Andes Mountains, home of the descendants of the Inca tribes, who in the 16th century were conquered, colonized and Christianized by the Spanish conquistadores. On the other side of the mountains are the rainforests of the upper Amazon and the borders of Brazil. Nearly a quarter of a million people live in barrios or shantytowns in Trujillo, about half the population of this provincial city. On St. Patrick's Day 1965, the late Bishop of Cork and Ross, Cornelius Lucy, established a mission of priests and sisters to care for the impoverished people of the barrios. In the years after the Second World War, Peru experienced a spectacular folk migration. In their tens and hundreds of thousands, the people abandoned home and land in the Sierra, the mountains, anticipating a better life squatting in the desert at the edge of their coastal cities. The migrants arrived in waves. In Peru, the word is invasions. They came suddenly in the night with little except optimism expressed in the names they gave their new towns. Names like Porvenir, the future, La Esperanza, hope, and Nueva Jerusalén, the new Jerusalem. With the country's ailing economy, racked by the recession, foreign debt, 
and the crippling effects of a strong US dollar, the reality is very different. One night, just overnight, a whole contingent of people arrived from the hills and they planted their straw hut right here in the desert. And uh, it was then called, they called it the New Jerusalem, the Nuevo Jerusalem. And from then on it developed slowly but surely and the, the, mat, the straw mat, the matted huts were replaced by these adobe structures. And in some cases, with the help of um, strong income from trafficking in drugs and others being very thrifty and hard work, they have succeeded in building um, some constructions of, of what we would call noble material. The main reason for coming was to try to improve the lot of their children. The, at least in the coast, at least down here, even in the desert, you have some, some you have a school system and a fairly uh, good educational system where, where the children are, are taught. The parents and children are very interested in, 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 in education and uh, for that reason they want to be where it is, where it's available. Now, the second reason for coming, of course, is, uh, it would be uh, medical reasons. She came down here when she was 12 years of age. Why did you leave? She came down to work, and then she found her husband, and she stayed. Do the children go to school? Van al colegio Sí, están estudiando ella, ella y los dos otros varones estudian. Mi hija la gran también estudia en la tarde. Yeah. Yes, it's important to her. She doesn't want them to be like herself because she doesn't, she didn't, never studied. Can you read or write? Puedes leer o escribir. No, Marta, yo no sé, por eso yo quiero que aprendan, es que escriban, que sepan. Yo no sé, Marta. No, she doesn't know. For that reason, she wants her children to learn. For a Peruvian to come down from the Pueblo where they had roots and identity and where they belonged in the truest sense, for them to be uprooted and thrown into uh, a coastal slum was, I would say, more traumatic than emigration, say, from Ireland to Australia or anything you might think of. Uh, even though it was in their own country, it was very traumatic culturally because in Peru, uh, there are perhaps 10 or 12 cultures, and uh, they felt, of course, very uprooted. At that time, in Peru's industrial kind of um, scene, there was a lot to come to. They had dreams of, of making it good, and they knew about places like Chimbote with the fishing industry. They came for jobs, they came for education. I would say education especially. They they put a, a tremendous importance on education. The parents are from the Sierra, from the hills. The parents, their mentality is still in the hills. The, the longing to go home, some of them go home if they're near. I have yet to meet a young boy or a young girl to say, I'm from Florencia de Mora, my parish here. They will always say, oh, I'm from Otusco, I'm from Cacabamba, I'm from Santiago de Chuco. They will, they will have a shame to admit that they are from one of these shanty towns. What kind of house did you have when you came to the coast first? What type of house did you have when you came to the Sierra? In the beginning? Here? Here, a ranch of stairs. A house of stairs. Of straw. Straw, literally straw, with four poles. 
And how many were living in the house at the time? ¿Cuántos vivían en la casa en ese tiempo? En ese tiempo hemos vivido yo y mi señora y cuatro hijos que teníamos. Himself and his wife and four children. And how long was it before you were able to build a house of adobe? ¿Cuánto tiempo eh, antes te podías construir tu casa? Ni hasta la fecha lo puedo terminar. Estoy haciendo poquito, poquito. Even yet, he hasn't ya. finished it. He's just, he's still doing it. He's still building it. The adobe house. The adobe house. After yeah. all those years. After 22 years, yeah. The shanty towns of Trujillo are brown and drab. Row after row of tightly packed houses stretch out across the desert and up into the foothills of the Andes. The authorities try to introduce order by dividing the desert on a grid system, allocating a tiny plot for a house to each family. A bag of cement in Peru costs the same as it does in Ireland, but if a man in the barrios has a job, he's doing better than average on two pounds a day. No, Bueno, de trabajar quisiera trabajar, ¿no? Pero no puedo decir caminar solo todavía. He would like to work, but he can't on account of his, uh, his infirmity. How much money did you earn as a shoeshine boy? ¿Cuánto ganabas como ilustrador? ganaba la semana. Me pagaban 15,000 soles. Me ha dicho cuando había negocio también ilustrando. Uh, weekly he earned 15,000 soles, which would be about $3. Or three Irish pounds. Or three Irish pounds, yes. He has no money now, he's just his, his relatives gives him his food. Now, in our parish here, it's, it's uh, very difficult to say that they have any kind of stable work for them because they haven't. And for that reason, they live off each other. And that means that uh, if anybody has a bit of money, which he will earn in the marketplace in town, uh, lofting bags, uh, discharging loads of, of uh, food and that, that come in from the hills or discharging loads of timber that would come in from the jungle, uh, working in construction if it were available, and any of them that any money that that's available and is never hoarded. It moves very fast and it travels a long way and just in one day circulation is, is, uh, is, um, uh, is tremendous. And for that reason, a great number of people can live off uh, very little in one day, whereas at home, one man would keep it all in his pocket, maybe put it in the bank and maybe have it stored up, or he might, it might be in his wallet for a week or a month before he'd need to use it. Whereas here, it's, it never lasts more than five or ten minutes. Are there people in this parish who don't have enough to eat? Oh, there are. I would um, reckon that there are 50% of them that uh, certainly do not have enough to eat. I was into a family now, the day before yesterday, the, uh, the family are there united, nine children. The father buys fruit in the hills and uh, brings it to the coast and sells it. And they asked the, um, them, how did they manage? Uh, do they have enough to eat? And they said they never had. That they just, what they have, they divide it between them and that's it. They have one meal in the day. In the morning, they go to school without anything. They try to buy maybe a little something on the way or coming back. The mothers find that it's cheaper to uh, give them a few souls, a few soles on the way to school and let them buy something. Uh, it's cheaper to do that than prepare a breakfast for them at home. Then they have some kind of a meal when they come back from school. The soup is very, very important to them and they make that from vegetables and um, they may have a fish, which would be the size of our mackerel at home, 
once a week meet they would never think of having because it's just beyond their uh, reach now. What's the meat chocolate? <laughs> uh, she just had soup see? with uh, corn on the cob. See what a bit of said. corn on the cob. We can see the remains of it here. The soup is something like a mm. little bit of um, corn flour or something like that. I don't know what it is exactly. But... And will you have any other food today? Tienes más comida para hoy? No, madrecita. Y en la tarde pongo un té en No, she has no <laughs> more food for today. She might have uh, tea in the evening. That's, but for that's an... literally tea. That's not with nothing with it. But for another meal like that, another meal of corn and the cob and soup, will you have to wait until tomorrow? Vas a tener que esperar para mañana para otra comida, sí, para sopa y choclo. Sí. Soup, beans, potatoes, is our main type of food. Do you think you have enough to eat each day? Tiene bastante para comer diario? Poco. Poco, no, really they haven't. It's little. Do members of your family work and have money? Hay algunos trabajando en su familia? No. No. No hay nadie trabajando. No. No, there is no one working in her family. And how do you manage to get money to buy food? ¿Cómo tienes dinero, plata para alimentos? Bueno, comida. A veces mi esposo tiene trabajo y a veces no y con la con la ayuda que yo recibo acá Bueno, todavía puedo At times, her husband works, but at times he doesn't. And with the help that she gets here, she gets food here weekly, she passes the time that way. What kind of food do you have in your house? Would you have meat, for example? Coma carne? No. No, no. Nunca ves? No. No. No, they never have meat. When I came here first, everybody had meat. I was back in, say, in 1965 to 70. Most people eat meat a few times a week. Most people were, were far better off, financially far better off than they are now. So for that reason, the people are hungry and uh, find it very difficult to make ends meet. And, um, the net result is the, the um, extraordinary um, incidence of, of uh, TB tuberculosis that's uh, here at the moment. Is life better here in Esperanza than in the hills? ¿Cómo está la vida por acá? ¿Es mejor que, que la montaña? No, ma. No. No. ¿Y por qué ha venido? O sea que me vine por, por, por olvidarme un poco de mi mamá. Y, y no puedo volverme a mi tierra. ¿Por qué? Digo, ves, uno tiene los pasajes y bien caro es. He came to forget about his mother's death and now he can't return because he has the money and the, it's too expensive to return. So he's living here. He's at, at the present. He's... Uh, been sick for the last two months. He was working as a night as a watchman, 24 hours a day in a factory. And uh, the owners of the, the factory is closed down. The owner is living in Lima, and they haven't been paid anything. He was living just in the the a little room. Uh, you'd call a lodge, but it is just one room. And he was living there, sleeping. They were cooking. And uh, his one night, about eight o'clock, his sister came. Uh, to ask us to go to see him. We went to see him, we took him into the hospital and uh, they told us that he had TB because he was cocky of blood. We guessed that he had because he's been very thin, but he has improved quite a lot now. Peruvian shantytown dwellers are a warm, friendly and generous people who will offer the visitor the last morsel of food on the table. 
your guide declines with as good a grace as possible, the health risks are far too high. Poor hygiene and contaminated food bring sickness and disease, and Peru has one of the highest infant mortality rates in Latin America. One of the major contributions of the Cork Mission has been the establishment of consultorios, or medical centres, in the barrios. In an average week, we would treat altogether about 1,000 patients. That would be now between attendance for the doctor, maternity control, underweight babies, TB programme, and dressings, injections, all that type of thing. Can I ask you about your TB patients? Do you have many and are they very seriously ill? At the moment, we have 100 patients on the programme. A big number of them are very seriously ill, very advanced. We find our big problem is that they come to us when they are too advanced. They are very advanced. They don't understand, number one, what illness they have, and uh, they have very much ashamed to come to the doctor and to come to the centre when they realise what they have. And so they're quite advanced when they come. And that is a very big difficulty in curing them. If they need hospitalisation, what happens? If they need hospitalisation and they come here to see the doctor first, the doctor gives them a um, transference uh, prescription to go to the hospital and they're seen by the specialist there for their particular illness. And depending on what he says, if he thinks they are to be hospitalised, they're hospitalised. But can they afford the hospital? Isn't That's this the big uh, problem? That's another big problem, that they cannot afford the hospital. And uh, very much so, the social worker can help in that line. They can exonerate them as regards bed and as regards eating in the hospital, food. But where medicines are concerned, there is no exoneration. And where x-rays are concerned, there is exoneration, but very often they have to somebody to speak for them. For instance, if I go in and speak to the social worker, she will take my word because I visited the person, I know their situation, and she will give the exoneration. Whereas if they say it themselves, it would not be accepted. Can I ask you, what is your name? ¿Cuál es tu nombre? Martina Soledad Vargas Opinian. And why have you come to the consultorio? ¿Y por qué he venido aquí a este consultorio? He venido a pasar consulta por mi enfermedad. She came to see the doctor because she felt ill. And do you know what's wrong with you? ¿Y sabe qué es su enfermedad? Sí, es este tuberculosis pulmonar. Yes, she knows she has TB. Is it very hurtful and difficult for you? Tiene mucho dolor y es muy difícil de venir. Decae el cuerpo, no tiene ánimos para levantar, para caminar, se siente débil. Yes, she said she feels weak, sometimes she hasn't the spirit to come knowing what the illness she has and how ill and weak she feels she hasn't the spirit to come. to stoop down to get in and the place was in complete darkness. I couldn't see anything. It was so bright outside when I went in. You see, they block up their windows. Then They don't believe in leaving fresh air in. And I said to Father Clory, I don't see anybody here. And a woman spoke from a corner and she said in Spanish, Estoy aquí, madrecita. I am here in the corner. So I went over and the twins, one was about, I'd say, a little over a pound, and the other, maybe a pound and a half. And I asked her, when were these children born? And she said, they were born yesterday. 
And, and I, I, she said, but you know that they were before their time. So I said to her, are, you, are those children baptized? And she said, no. Well, I said, I'm afraid either one or the other of those aren't going to live. They couldn't possibly live, I said, in these conditions. So Father Crowley and myself, we baptized the two children. And right enough, we came away, and I went up first thing the next morning, and the two babies had died. The Cork Diocesan connection with Peru began in 1961 when three volunteer priests went to work with colleagues from the Archdiocese of Boston sent down by the late Cardinal Richard Cushing. In the 50s and 60s, the Catholic Church in the United States became concerned with Latin America and a major missionary movement began. After a three-year experiment with the Boston priests, Bishop Lucy of Cork decided in 1965 on a permanent mission be staffed and funded by personnel from his own diocese. It was decided that the Cork priests and sisters would work in the urban slums and eventually the city of Trujillo was chosen. First we saw the necessity for, for uh, having a school system. That time you had the people themselves were trying to have what we would call a community school built in the very same, of the same material as their own homes. It started off with the Esteras this matted um, business and the bamboo sticks and stones. Um, then they improved it by having these uh, mud bricks, but it was very, very inferior. So uh, Bishop Murphy and uh, Father Crowley, they were the, the men responsible in the beginning. And of course, Bishop Lucy, uh, they um, decided that the best thing to do was that we would um, look to the, the, um, the needs of the people. And one of the primary needs was education, and if they were educated, that they, they had some chance of uh, improving their own position later on. And the second, we saw that they needed um, medical attention, that there was absolutely none. And even in this whole district of Esperanza, where you would have something, you have, uh, well, if we have, we have 25,000 here now, Madre de Cristo Parish above us, then would have, say, 40, 45,000 people. In all that area, all the, that district, up to last year, up till this year, in actual fact, the con one clinic was built by the state last year, and it was opened this year. But for those 20 years, of 18 or 20 years that we have been here now, the only clinics in all that district were the two clinics built by our mission. We also then approached the Ministry of Education here in Peru, and we said to them, look, we'll, we'll prepare to build schools, we're prepared to administer schools, we're not prepared to teach in these schools. For one thing, we don't have the personnel, and if we had, we wouldn't, because we think that Peruvians should be taught by Peruvians, and you have teachers waiting for jobs. So finally, we, persuade, we they came to an agreement that they would provide the teachers, pay the teachers, and that we would supervise the schools and see that a good standard was kept up. And um, so gradually, from five teachers, we've built up now to, I think, 120 teachers, which in a way is a big investment in this place by the government, which might never have happened if we hadn't, I wouldn't say, well, I could say, but shame them into doing it. People have to liberate themselves ultimately. They have to have their own vision of their worth, their dignity, their importance, their rights. And I think that awareness comes with education. And it's very hard to lift 
a people that are not uh, able to think for themselves. Someone invited out a lot of officials to uh, preside over the blessing of uh, an adobe monument, which looked rather ridiculous to me, in the middle of this big plaza. And I was asked as local priest to come down and bless this thing. And I remember going along and uh, seeing this um, battery of very uh, uh, formally dressed officials all there for the ceremony. And uh, I just uh, started off their, their national anthem, you know. Somos libres, amos, and so on. It talks about we're free. Let us be free. May we always be free. And I just uh, said, I find it hard to sing this in this place. We have no water. We have inadequate schooling. We have inadequate uh, everything. And how can we be free? A good number of the people in this parish, because it's quite poor, they, what we might say, they rob the water, the sewerage, and the light. They make clandestine connections to the water main clandestine connection to the sewerage pipe and uh, in a very delicate operation with a pole and and, um, and wire they hitch on to the the mains once the dark once darkness comes in the evening and provide themselves with light for some hours there's an animal here it's not an animal but it's a, like a cockroach it's called a cucaracha and lives in the water breathes in the water and and um, comes through the spring water as well as the storage. I would think that um, the disease caused from the water itself would be typhoid rather than hepatitis. Now, hepatitis will come from being careless with uh, bread, where you buy it, and how we, and uh, from uh, and uh, and uh, how it's prepared. Everybody tries to make a few pence on buying and selling bread, but unfortunately, the uh, due to the very poor storage system. The hygiene is pretty awful, and the flies are perching one from one situation to another, from one position to another, and they're on the bread and they're on whatever they are, on the dead animals. Animals, of course, are never um, buried. If a dog dies, it's left in the street, too. It's, it's not buried. There's some notion that these animals or birds or cats or whatever they are cannot be buried they must be left to the left to the sun to bloat them up and then the other animals come and eat them They should be spoken out against in Ireland just as well as here. And um, I think that in that way the church becomes the, really and genuinely the conscience of the people. Adding to oppression and material deprivation, Peru suffers from a variety of natural hazards ranging from floods to major droughts and the ever-present menace of the earthquake. In 1970, the earth shook. Sister Oliver and myself, <clears throat> we were working in the maternity and we had just delivered a baby in the live ward where I had put the baby into the cot 
and Sister Oliver was just after delivering the placenta. And all of a sudden, all the presses in the labour ward opened wide, all the instruments jumped out onto the floor, and I looked at Oliver and I said, what's that? We hadn't long to wait. When the woman who was delivered, she started screaming, terremoto, terremoto. And I, Oliver, I said, is it an earthquake? And she said, it must be. So the woman just jumped off of the, off of the table, went over to the cot, lifted her child and ran out of the building. All the women who were already delivered within the last few days did exactly the same thing. Put their children out of the cots and away out on, onto the road. You see, they're so conscious there of the buildings falling on them. But that earthquake, what, what the suffering of those people, what they suffered during that earthquake. The little houses they had, majority of them fell. But there was nobody killed in Trujillo itself in, this, in the barrios because they're made of estera and it just doesn't hurt. But on the whole, like 60,000 people died in that earthquake. All the people at five o'clock, we had mass always of a Sunday. All the people just gathered in into the church just calling on God to save them and thanking God that they had been saved, that they hadn't been killed. It was just turning to God and the emergency came. Um, when, when I went into the church, there was two statues in the church. One was Santa Rosa, who was one of the patronesses of Peru, and the other was Saint Joseph. And Santa Rosa fell to the ground and she was in smithereens. And I met one of the, one of the locals who just happened to find the eye of Santa Rosa. And she said, oh, un recuerdo, she had one, oh, lovely present from Santa Rosa, her eye, her big glass eye. And she really thought that that was worth something. But Saint Joseph, our great Saint Joseph, he didn't fall, but he just turned around and faced the wall. Most of the people living in Trujillo in the barrios they all come down from the mountains. And each, in their own district in the mountain, they all have what is known as their santito, their own patron saint. And when they're coming down, that's one thing they always bring with them, is their little patron saint. It doesn't matter whether it is a man or a woman, but he, he's dressed up, he has a hat on him and a cloak, and he's part of their life. And when his when his feast day occurs every year, they bring that Santito down to the church and they have mass in the church and they will march up the center aisle of the church and put their Santito up on the altar. To them, like, there's a bit of magic attached to that, you know. And we were we would say to them, you know, you, you shouldn't do that, you know, that the mass is is the sacrifice. But really and truly we were kind of destroying their religion and destroy, destroying their devotion because we were we were inclined like to we were saying, 
what we have is right like what you have isn't right. Well, the popular religion thing is a phenomenon that's true of most of South America. It is the, the people's expression of their religion which developed very much uh, independent of, of priesthood because many of these Pueblos had no priest at all. And uh, they celebrated their local uh, saint and fiesta in great style. And uh, that was more important to them than perhaps mass going or a sacramental life to, to Christians in other parts. people had seen fiestas in Spain, they'd have some idea of uh, the South American fiesta scene. They normally take these statues out in procession with bands and uh, fireworks and usually, uh, you know, a huge mob of people. And it's very much a, a public expression of their devotion to this particular saint. Now, uh, it's quite strange, I suppose, to someone from an Irish background because uh, I suppose since we killed or lost the patroon or the, the patron in Ireland, we don't have any similar kind of uh, experience. Most people would like to have a nice wedding, a white wedding, or a nice, a nice wedding, as we would call a nice wedding. That is not possible for them uh, in, the in the hill situation. Therefore, they live together, and they go through what we would call a marriage gone to native land custom. Once they live together, the nice wedding is gone, and therefore, they don't think at all anymore about a wedding. They're living together, they have their children, and that's the situation. The fact that they're not married in the church, that there are so many people not married in the church, um, is not because they didn't want to get married in the church, but it's because the nice wedding slipped there, slipped by, and they, their chance of having a nice wedding never materialized, and then after that, well, that was it. You know, you'd be surprised, you know, at the men, the way they'd come out of those houses, all those little houses, They'd always have a white shirt, big sombrero, pants creased, and a pair of sabatos, well, some kind of shoes anyway. But in no way, like, would you, would you think of where they come out of, that anything could, so white could come out of, but it just shows you that the woman produces that for your man. In the hierarchy of the shantytown poor, the men are debilitated by lack of work and identity, but the women are the most oppressed of all. She's exploited by her husband, and she's exploited by her family, and um, above all, because she's a woman, even girls in a family are exploited by their own fathers and by their own brothers, and uh, society in general exploits the, the woman. Can you explain to me, within the family context, how this exploitation manifests itself? Well, for example, uh, the woman is expected to do, in reality, a w the work a man should be doing. Um, 
I would say maybe in 50% of the people here, she is the um, bread earner of the homes, and while the man sits at home doing nothing, absolutely nothing, and he obliges her to go and work. Uh, even he, some men would oblige their uh, wives to give themselves in prostitution uh, to make uh, a living or their own daughters would be sent out in prostitution for to help the family to live. Son seis. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the son of her first husband. And uh, she's abandoned by her first husband. And now she has another husband. And she has three. ¿Cuántos hijos tienes? Cinco tengo. Cinco, ocho somos con todo mi esposo. She has uh, five children. And uh, counting this boy, six and the two of them, eight. Mm. Eight. Why did your first husband abandon you? Porque te abandonó tu esposo. Mi esposo me abandonó que era tuviera libre, pues estaba yo libre y iba tenido su señora. Y yo como no sabía me engañado que no tenía iba tenido señora. She thought he was free to marry her, and he already had another wife. Whatever bit of food she has in the house, she prepares it, and the man of the house and his sons get the best of everything. He hangs around, or he may go to the mercado. She goes off on whatever bit of fruit she has or something. She tries to sell it in the mercado to make some few soles, to buy some food to bring it back, to serve himself and her sons. But the woman is really a slave works hard, works outside and inside. She is really a slave in Peru. The market continues on Sunday and they leave home very early in the morning. As you can hear here, passing the, the house, the, the bus, begins in the morning, blowing the horn to wake up these people at four o'clock. They go to the town then to buy whatever they'll buy in the um, supermarket there, which is an open market, where all the vegetables, the lorries and whatnot come in and they sell there, and then the people will buy there and bring them out to the local market. And the local market then will start off at about eight o'clock. Peru is a ramshackle democracy with a government of the right. Its main concern is not with reform, but containing the ruthless Maoist guerrilla movement, the Sendero Luminoso, which is based in the city of Ayacucho. But the atrocities of the National Army in response have provoked a major outcry from human rights activists. In the day-to-day -day life of the Barrio people, there is also violence and corruption. People are critical of the police probably because um, it's co corrupt, like in many other nations. It's uh, the... Uh, uh, exploit the people and ask for money and uh, other things uh, to get off of um, being without a license. For example, if a man hands out a packet of cigarettes or maybe 5,000 soles, he's exonerated straight away. In the latter years, there has been a tremendous increase in violence, robberies. People are very poor and you have b armed bands now quite um, active in these shanty towns. Uh, it's a new feature of the mission. The other one is the drug trafficking. The growth of it in the hills being so near 
and youngsters in schools now and that, and especially in secondary schools, getting involved. I, I can recall in the country at home when, um, during the, just after the war when nobody had anything, that you had a certain number of people that went around, they stole the hens, stole the eggs, and they stole the calves. And, uh, because the need and the, the necessity or the poverty and just uh, produce that kind of, uh, that way of living. It's exactly the same here. People are, people are no different. They're exactly the same here as they were at home, except that you have so, you have so many of them here. The, the extraordinary thing is that you have so many good people here and so many few people doing the robbing and stealing and, and uh, being involved in violence. The church in Peru, in many ways like the country itself, is full of contradictions and contrasts, ranging from right-wing bishops to that significant body of opinion which staunchly advocates liberation theology. The present bishop of Cork and Ross, Dr. Michael Murphy, one of the founders of the Trujillo Mission, firmly supports the option for the poor. It's a wonderful thing that these people down here, who were moribund at least, are, are now in the center stage, really, uh, and developing their own theology. I think that's a wonderful thing. And you know, when that happens, there are bound to be extremes, you know. There are bound to be people making some mistakes, some over-enthusiastic, some things that haven't been fully thought out, and um, maybe some rather uh, forced interpretations of the gospel message to justify the theory. Now, all those elements are there, but I, I'm delighted. It is, it is wonderful, I think, that there is a liberation theology, and I think that in time there will be a very acceptable um, liberation theology. In no way will we sort of preach to the people to take up guns or anything like that. They, they are responsible for their own country. We see it that in the light of our faith, that we, strong, we have strong policies on human rights in our educational process, in our medical attention as well, and we make them conscious of the negation of rights within their country. And I can you can take it from me that in the last 20 years, the people in these shanty towns have become very, very conscious of their rights. I would say that um, if, the, if the people with the power, which really means the people with the money, if they do not see the writing on the wall, then I... The future looks very serious, and um, I can't see how they can escape a bloody conflict. The people at the top and the people with the power will have to set, get down to establish priorities. And the number one priority in a place like Peru is the production of food. And they could produce it. There's no question about it in my mind. And also the, um, the proper exploitation of their great mineral wealth. The people have never got their fair share of the wealth of the country. Dime, por qué la gente no sonríe, por qué las armas en las manos, por qué los hombres van heridos. She has been staying for a whole year now, night and day. They're all here together, and uh, her husband and uh, 
the children themselves look after themselves. Se va para allá, trae cualquier cosita, unos días acá, vuelta se va a traer la comida, así estamos. He comes and goes, bringing her the food, and uh, he goes away to work again. Porque los hombres van heridos.